Hello and welcome to episode 252 of the Waters Waveland podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Weishan, and I have Tony with me here tonight. Hey, T, how are you, how are you doing? Good. I'm just uh, sitting here in my living room and my Christmas tree is still up and it's a live Christmas tree. It's not a fake one. So it's uh, we are almost at June and I still have my Christmas tree up and I'm very proud of that fact. Do you have to water it? Oh. Of course, yeah. otherwise, yeah, burn the whole house down. Otherwise, yeah, then it just <laughs> becomes kindling, basically. <laughs> but I'm amazed that it's stayed together. It's doing well. And all these people that get rid of their, you know, by you know January to get rid of the Christmas tree. I'm like, I'm like, let's see how long we can keep. It. It's a plant. It's just a plant. Yeah, very big plant. It's all this. Very cool. I wonder how it will last in because I we can get some we can get real Christmas trees here too, um, but with the heat and I don't know how long it will last. Yeah, <laughs> probably not as long. Yeah. Listen, you just as long as my house doesn't catch on fire from it, then uh, that's all I'm really hoping for. So. <laughs> and you have lights on it, don't you? Of course. Mm, yeah, so more so reason for it to burn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, I got a blurred filter on my thing, so I can't really show you. Anyway. Anyway, so why don't you tell us what happened? Uh, it's, a, it's a big thing that happened in the U, in the U.S., uh, you know, with our first live event, uh, Nephis. Uh, yeah, since you we were had... there on on uh, on the ground, you know, yeah, it was tell us how it went. First, it was our first event since 2019 here in New York, um, the North American Financial Information Summit. And we had about 150 people, so not a huge crowd, but, you know, for us, it's, uh, you know, I think we're, we normally kind of gun for about 250, 300, but, you know, for this one, we knew first one back and it was awesome. It was great. Uh, I really enjoyed the discussions that we had on stage, but it was the best piece was just getting to see people I haven't seen in a long time, talking with mm-hmm. people face to face. Um everybody was really into it um and so i think right now there's kind of two crowds of people there's people that are desperately want to get back to -to face-to-face meetings events stuff like that and there are people who are not comfortable with that and that's fine um i think my hope is that through word of mouth events like ours events like trade tech which is a competing event of ours uh the big fia boca or fia events sifma ops and all those kind of events as more and more people get out and feel comfortable they'll start telling their colleagues and hopefully we get more and more people just going out and uh and we'll i don't know that there's never going to be you know we're going to live with this pandemic for forever it's not I, I just don't see it going away. Yeah. Um, so it's just using your best judgment, your best precautions. Um, and yeah, so it was just really cool to see everybody and to have people up on stage, you know, discussing stuff and disagreeing, but in a good, respectful manner or agreeing, building off of each other. It was just, it was cool to see. So yeah, and, but so we have these live events people might not be comfortable with them fortunately we still have things like podcasts too so you know <laughs> who we got today Wei Shen? 
Yeah, so uh, today we have uh, James Crosby. He's the founder and CEO of uh, data management Fencor, uh, based out of Singapore. And uh, he basically comes on the podcast and talks about the risks of uh, vendor lock-in. And then we also talk about interoperability and how uh, firms are kind of striving to achieve that and how they are going about that journey, uh, both on the end user side as well as on the vendor side. So, yeah. Let's listen. Let's do it. Cool. Till the next time. Catch y'all later. All right. And today uh, I have with me James Crosby. He's the founder and CEO of data management firm Fencor that's based out of Singapore. Hi, James. How are you? Hi, Wei Shen. I'm very well. Thank you. Great. Uh, well, thank you for joining us on the podcast this week. Um, uh, I guess to start with, if you could give our listeners a, a brief overview of uh, what Fencor does and uh, who you serve. Absolutely. Yes, I'd be I'd be glad to. And thank you very much for having me on the show. Um, so, yeah, as you mentioned, we're a data management platform provider and we serve primarily the asset management world, the, uh, the, so the buy side, but also the, the sell side as well. Um, but, you know, most of our the main expertise lies in this buy side industry, so that's why our primary focus is in is in that space really, and uh, yeah, helping them to, to you know improve the way they manage their data, particularly finance related data sets, uh, um, and do it in a much um, easier way with our no code platform. So traditionally, there's been some um, slow implementations and failed implementations, and that's what we really want to tackle with our platform is to, to help them uh, streamline those operations and become more efficient as well. Mm, okay, and I guess just before we get into our topic for today, um, I, I know that you, you guys also went through the F10 incubator in Singapore, right? Yeah, I, I had actually recently did a story on that on how uh, Franklin Templeton is actually partnering up with F10 to to do something there, uh, a two-year incubation program, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, how, just to give give me an idea, I guess, of what uh, you went through. How was that program uh, uh, for Fencor? Yes, that's, that's right. It's it's a really great program. We went through that in 2020, so we were actually part of the first Singaporean um, cohort when they launched over here. So originally they're from Switzerland and backed by a lot of Swiss financial institutions and corporates. So SIX is, is the main one, the Swiss stock exchange and data vendor. So yeah, they they launched over here in Singapore. And you know, so it, it was a really great experience for a, you know, a, a, an early stage company as we were at the time uh, to learn all about so many different topics, um, design thinking and how to uh, market yourself, how to, how to sell your products to the finance industry and in Singapore and beyond. Um, so it was a really great program. The only problem was being being the first cohort meant that the folks on the F10 side were also just sort of getting their networks up and running. So um, that it was it was a, you know a nice thing, but also a, a slight. Uh, it would be better to almost be part of one of the cohorts now because now they're really up and running and um, and able to um, introduce you to even more financial institutions. But yes, like you said, now there's this new program with Franklin Templeton as well, which is which is really exciting. And so we're um, applying for that and hoping to be part of that because then you really have the buy side focus as well. So uh, oh, fingers great. crossed on that front. Okay, yeah, I was just going to ask if you were still involved uh, with them and if you could, I mean, because they're, they're part of this ecosystem, right? And they're trying to build that ecosystem up even further. So, uh, okay, yeah, uh, yeah, I was just curious of how you, how you guys were still involved in that. 
Uh, yes. Yeah. So we're part of this sort of alumni now. So you still uh, you still get um, a lot of benefits out of it, even after the program has ended itself, actually. Hmm, interesting. OK, can't wait to hear more about that and all the best <laughs> on your application, too. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, well, today uh, we want to talk to you about the pitfalls of vendor lock-in. I think this is a topic that uh, uh, has come up quite a bit in uh, certain jurisdictions, I, I guess mainly in the UK. With the, uh, That was mainly on the outsourcing guidelines, but I think it does fall into that category of vendor lock-in as well. So um, I'm just curious. A lot of vendors, it doesn't matter whether they are data management vendors or, you know, they're providing some sort of financial services to uh, either the buy or sell side. Um, I mean, in the past, and I think it's still the case today, they want to be sticky, right? They want to provide a sticky product that uh, clients will want to continue to use um, or maybe that it's potentially hard to get out of. <laughs> um, so today, I guess, where where is that balance now? Is there, is there still a balance between trying to be sticky or trying to create stickiness of uh, the of the product and the firm? And or, or do you see things kind of opening up further? Do you see vendors like yourselves uh, as well as other providers, you know, trying to be more open and give, I guess, clients more flexibility? Yes, that's a great question. And yeah, I mean, I've, I've been on the vendor side uh, for many, many years now, about you know, 15 uh, to 20 years or so at various different um, software vendors and you know, a lot of that in, in the um, data management industry as well. So I've seen firsthand you know, the, uh, the attempts at becoming as sticky as possible uh, and difficult to extract once, once that sale has been achieved. And so, um, yeah, that, that's something that uh, I think now is something that vendors like ourselves are trying to uh, help with uh, to avoid becoming so sticky and, and, and we see that stickiness and um, vendor lock-in at multiple levels within data management so there's the, the cloud provider first of all so uh, they, they often have a lot of very specific services many of which are of course fantastic but the more vendor specific um, or cloud provider specific services you start taking advantage of the more you may become locked into that particular vendor and it's, it's harder than then to switch from you know azure to aws or vice versa or to google cloud so um <clears throat> ourselves we're, we're for example we're um cloud provider agnostic meaning uh you know our, our platform can actually run on all three of the main cloud providers uh and in addition to that another element of the vendor lock-in is on the the database technology as well or the database cloud provider so there's there's different services like databricks um snowflake and so on that are now coming up as well but you also i don't think want to be too locked into those and one day if you do decide to switch it should be as straightforward as possible and and again that interoperability of our platform does allow you to to choose which one you want to go into and and make that switch as easy as possible and then the final level is of, of the data management platform provider itself so that would be people like ourselves or many of the incumbents in the space and and how can you avoid vendor lock-in with with ourselves and, and with the other ones and so for that reason we've decided and what we think is sort of offering a true partnership uh, with with our clients is, is to actually say if you ever do want to leave us which we really hope you don't we're going to make that as as easy as possible and provide you with a sort of complete report of all the different transformations aggregations and everything that our platform does step by step uh, and then you can actually 
follow that and use it almost as a blueprint to implement your um, replacement of Fencor. And, and also we, we offer some um, professional services at that point as well for, for free that, that helps them uh, to actually move away. So that, that's how we see that um, true partnership evolving in the data management space. Okay, and perhaps I, I will get into some specific examples uh, of that late, a, little, a little later on, but uh, maybe we could maybe backtrack a little bit for now. So if, I mean, looking at the pitfalls of uh, uh, vendor lock-in, I mean, what would you say, I guess, besides the obvious, which is the, the I guess the biggest risk would be an outage, right? Uh, perhaps if we, were to, if we were to look at, let's say, um, uh, uh, one of the cloud uh, providers, let's say there's a huge outage at one of them, and then that, uh, that kind of, um, uh, falls down to whoever is on their uh, using them, right? So, besides that that outage risk, what are the other risks that um, vendor lock-in actually? Uh, what what challenges do they pose, and how have firms actually been dealing with it? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, another risk is. Um... I mean, of course, the best setup is to have something that crosses different availability zones within a cloud provider, for example. So to make it much less likely that you know, AWS is, is completely down across all its availability zones within the region that you've chosen. So uh, having that multi-availability zone setup is, is the ideal and recommended setup on, on, on the cloud. Um, that, and that reduces that risk. But you know, then there's, there's things like um, the risks of the costs going up a lot. So if you are completely embedded in, in a particular cloud provider um, or, or database technology, then if they do raise their prices and you're very, very much tied in there, then uh, it could be, you know, adverse, adversely affect your, your costs. Uh, and so that, that would be one risk that you're facing by being too tied into one particular cloud provider. Mm. Okay, so what is the, I guess, what are some of the, the, the things that, um, uh, you know, firms on the buy side as well as the sell side, what can you do to kind of help prevent this? Because obviously cloud, uh, looking at the cloud providers, that's just one aspect of things, right? These guys have multiple systems, whether they are, you know, data management providers like you, or they could have like a post-trade system or multiple post-trade systems for that matter, uh, as well as, you know, the front office, OMSs, EMSs, uh, PMS, all that sort of um, systems. So if they were, like if we were to take a big picture look at this and say, okay, we sh uh, uh, we're we're, uh, we're this is our firm. Uh, this are this are all uh, the risky the potential risk areas. Where could we, where could we change and you know potentially open up to have multiple providers um, services that way in case one you know uh, goes out or another you know maybe I want to move from one to another that sort of scenario. Yes, that's, yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, if, if you're using a, a multitude of different platforms, like you said, for the front office, for portfolio management and, and all these different types of um, business functions, then you know, I, I would say it's not necessarily a problem or maybe even a good thing if some of those systems are actually on different cloud providers. So having a, a, a hybrid cloud setup uh, and not necessarily being having everything within Azure, for example, or everything within AWS or everything within Google Cloud. I think it is, uh, I would say it is uh, quite good to be spread across certain different cloud providers 
uh, and that gives you the flexibility to also move uh, as well. I mean, there are certain vendors out there who say we run on AWS, our software runs on AWS. So if you as a firm decide we are we want all our software to run on Azure, that prevents you from actually being able to leverage that, you know, that, that other vendor's software. And um, so obviously it's great if you can choose a, a vendor that has a multi-cloud approach as well and then you can say would could you please deploy your platform on azure for us um and then you know so you, you can choose which cloud provider your vendor chooses to put so let's say um for argument's sake um salesforce if they had a multi-cloud uh, strategy and you could go to salesforce and say we'd like our crm to be hosted on azure or aws i, I actually don't know off the top of my head whether um Salesforce does that, but just to, to name a random example, yeah. uh, and then you can actually, you know, uh, create your multi-cloud hybrid environment as you, as you want and, and design it how you'd like it to be. Okay, so earlier you were talking about that the cloud example, but what what of the systems themselves? So uh, let's say if uh, a firm wants uh, a certain component of uh, a portfolio management system uh, from one provider and other components of this PMS system from another provider, or it could be a data management system. And does that work today? Uh, or if you buy a system, it's you get the whole thing. You use you only use that, and you can't uh, use other functions from uh, perhaps yeah you can't use other functions from another PMS provider or a data management provider, whatever the system is. Yeah, that's a, a great question as well. So, I mean, that really um, enters the topic of interoperability uh, mm. between different platforms as well. And uh, uh, and I think, you know, now, particularly, let's say, larger buy sides, um, to have a single um, approach to data management, for example, across the whole organization is, I mean, of course, it's, it's the... It's the utopian ideal uh, to have, but it's it's such a multi-year strategy that often by the time that's been implemented and, and you have this across the board um, data management platform implementation that, that is, is in every department and so on, it's it's such a long process that by the end, by the end of the, the time when you've actually achieved that, there's probably a new way of doing things. You have to start again. So you know, now there's there's talk about data fabrics and data meshes and and that that can often mean that you can have a a departmental use case where you have um, one data management platform, as long as it interoperates with, within the um, greater data strategy and, and talks to the other systems and the data governance systems and so on, uh, I think it is actually quite a, a sensible approach to go with different solutions alongside each other. And, and that could be in the data management space, but I think the principle applies to other systems as well. But is that, is that, I guess, that state of interoperability uh, difficult to achieve? Um, how is it, I mean, because when we talk about interoperability today, there are uh, multiple uh, definitions, right? It's either being interoperable, having uh, either the buy or sell side systems, I mean, their internal systems, uh, you know, making them interoperable and having, let's say, the data flow from one to the end, uh, from, from the front to, to back uh, seamlessly, uh, or they have a, I guess, a more holistic view on all the data across their firm. Or it could be that uh, perhaps from a provider point of view, you, uh, that you are interoperable with other systems. Uh, you, uh, I guess, integrate easily into uh, your, a new client, for example. Um, so what 
how do we get to to that state where uh, you know the the client can be okay? I I like this. I like this part of uh, let's say FanCos platform. I like this other part from another you know data management provider. Um, how do I do I have? I mean, what kind of um, I guess agreement do I have to come to to be able to use both of you at the same time? Yeah, I mean, I think at the technology level, it would all come down to um, having the APIs that you know the API endpoints that allow that integration and that interoperability to happen. So, I mean, there's obviously a, a, a big shift in in the uh, technology world towards APIs. And so as long as the different systems have APIs or uh, there's always elements of potentially in-house developed software at the buy sides as well. Um, so then, you know, you can connect the different systems via their APIs and, and uh, also maybe um, built in integration as well. You know, so I mean, our system, just as an example, has integrations with, with Calibra, with Jira, various other systems like that, and, and, and of course the data vendors as well. So then, then you have that interoperability on day one, um, uh, but sometimes you might have to do a, a bit of work to actually connect the APIs uh, at the beginning and, and just get that interoperability up and running. But that, that allows you to have that uh, modular approach and choose different modules from different systems, uh, connect them and, and use them as you'd like to. So I think that's that really is kind of the the future of uh, the setup within a, an asset management firm. Okay, I mean perhaps could you walk me through actually what what is that that initial work that you were you were talking about just now in in terms of getting those uh, API connectivities uh, connectivity set up uh, to allow that. I mean, could you explain uh, or yeah, could you just explain how what work actually goes into that? I mean, and whose I guess whose responsibility uh, is that? Yes, good question. So I mean, every Every time you choose a, a vendor system or just about every time, there'll be a certain element of implementation or configuration at the beginning to get it up and running. So um, that that would be the implementation phase. So uh, at that point, you would, um, of course, you know, generally you'd already have a, an idea of what you want to achieve and, and which systems you want to connect. Um, and, and so there you have your, your source systems, your target systems and um, and and essentially configure the platform in order to, to do that. And in our case, it's a no-code configuration. So you, you connect the different elements together with a drag-drop, uh, drag-and-drop style interface, and, and, and then you're up and running as, as quickly as possible. So uh, just about every system that has an API would uh, allow you, you know, you have the documentation of the endpoints, and uh, it would then describe how you connect to that. And uh, most, most of the time, it would be our professional services team that would help our clients out on that front uh, in a collaborative way to to connect to their existing systems and uh, yeah that's that's how it would be set up at the beginning. Okay, okay, and then let's let's come to that final part of uh, I guess uh, moving away from that vendor or prevent trying to prevent that vendor lock-in. So when it comes to Fencor and and obviously you you did mention that. Uh, uh, you do hope that clients do stay with you, right? But how do you give your clients that optionality to also move away if they choose to? Um, and I, I guess from uh, from that whole coming back to you know a product being a, a system being sticky, uh, you know, how do you manage that? Yeah. So I mean, from a 
and let's say a contractual perspective, uh, we, we offer you know, short short term contracts as well. Or uh, I mean, the reality is that every vendor provides a, a more um, a better price, we say, if you lock it, if, if you choose a three year deal, for example. But if you wanted to end that after uh, a, a, an earlier time, then you can essentially just pay the difference between what you would have paid for a one-year contract, for example. Uh, you know, so there's a price for a, a three-year contract, which is a lower annual rate than the one-year contract. But if you if you choose to leave after a year, you just have to pay that slight difference there. So that's the flexibility. And we also offer one month, you know, on a monthly basis, the the the, the service level agreements as well. So that really provides the um, flexibility to to use us for as long as you need and and um, leave also whenever you want to as well. Okay. And how do I mean if they want to move away? What do you, um, I guess? Uh, I'm I'm curious how that how that would happen and in 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 uh, in the sense of what would you provide your clients as well with uh, you know to I guess maybe try to prevent them from moving away. <laughs> well, um, of course, yeah. We we, we would you know. Um, do everything we can to, to keep on as a client, of course, but um, uh, at the same time, if they decided to go for a different setup and a different data management platform, for example, or there were certain decisions to make architectural changes um, and, and it, it didn't didn't involve Fencore anymore, that would be uh, fine as well. And we would uh, help them with, with, like I said, some professional services at that point uh, and, and a report on, a detailed report on what, what the different transformations and um, aggregations and so on that that take place in our platform and, and how the pipelines move the data around and that report would really help in um, moving moving on and, and implementing the same setup in another environment. Could you give me uh, I guess a practical example of that um, that happening? Yeah so I mean you know, let's say I'm currently one of our connectors is with Bloomberg and so if you um, uh, if you're massaging the data that you're receiving from Bloomberg in a certain way choosing a, a subset of the columns you want to import into your uh, data model um, aggregating the data in a certain way we can we can essentially provide the um, it's almost like a, I guess sort of pseudo code type description of what what, what we do to the um, to the um, data in order to get it into the shape that they wanted for their data model and also on the export side as well any transformations that happen at that point so it ties in with our data lineage functionality that we have in the platform so it's essentially just leveraging the the data lineage capabilities of the product and and, and outputting that in a report that can then be used to, as a blueprint mm, so clients who do um well, hopefully they don't, but clients that do move away or do decide to move away from Fencore due to whatever reason it may be, they will they will walk away with like a blueprint that they can choose either to have their new provider implement that same blueprint or uh, perhaps take some, I guess, learnings from that at that blueprint. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Yes. I mean, if they were if they were making fundamental architectural changes, then maybe they're not planning to implement exactly what they what they were doing mm. with us. So they might be making some other more sweeping changes at the same time. But I think that blueprint could still be useful to understand what were we doing previous what were we doing previously. And I mean, all all the data, of course, would still belong to the client. So they would also receive the uh, you know data backups and be able to export the data and migrate it uh, elsewhere as well. So it's not just the it's not just the metadata about the transformations they'd receive but the data itself and I mean if if, if we're hosted in their on-premise environment then they have the data in their own environment already anyway but if it was in our public cloud environment then uh, 
likewise, they'd be able to export all the data out as well. Mm. Okay, and I'm curious in terms of the, I mean, to the theme of interoperability. Um, so, as as a data management provider, how do you um, how do you see the market moving? I guess in terms of your peers, uh, as well as the systems that you do connect to, you know, on behalf of your clients, um, are they also? Uh, and this could be either the 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 uh, the new up and coming SaaS providers, uh, whether they are in the data management space or, or any other um, uh, service that they provide um, versus what the incumbents are doing. Because I know that they, they are incumbent, uh, the, the, I guess if I could call them the old guys, they are also trying to you know provide these solutions hosted in the cloud or uh, either provide it as a managed solution. So um, how, how do you, I, I guess, maybe paint me a picture of how do you all play nicely together and what is that end state the, the end goal in mind i guess of that uh, you know that, uh, that 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 true state of interoperability what would that look like for the client well i think the 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 the, the end goal would really be for there to be well-defined open standards about how how systems could communicate with each other and there are moves by the financial regulators to create more standards around you know let's say reporting to the regulators and exactly how what, what shape the data should be in in order to to report to the regulators and um but i think the more standards we have um open standards open api standards that we have uh, in terms of communicating between different systems relating to financial data uh, the easier it's going to be to to adopt those standards and for systems to then be able to talk to each other via their APIs and just pass data in, in these nice standardized formats. And, and there are, um, it's great to see some moves being made in that direction, um, but uh, it's still gonna be a, a while before we achieve that. And, and there's always going to be uh, differences in how these APIs talk to each other. And, and for, I mean, that's one of the reasons why data management platforms exist in the first place is, is to take data from, uh, one place that has data in a, in a certain format, massage it and, and send it to another another system or another database that has needs the data in a different shape. And that's, I guess, part of the bread and butter of a data management platform. So we we we're, we can actually smooth that process towards interoperability to take data from a PMS and, and send it downstream to a, another accounting system. So I mean, in a way, that is providing interoperability services to other systems. Um, but I think, yeah, also for data management platforms themselves to become more interoperable with data governance systems is a really good example because you may want to define all your data governance policies and um, metadata about and, and your business glossary and in, in a in a data governance platform but it would be really nice if your uh, data management system uh, links up with that and, and can consume that metadata in order to follow the same policies and uh, reuse the the metadata that's stored at that higher level. And that allows you to have um, one data governance system across the whole organization, but then multiple data management platforms at the departmental level. I think that's a really, really nice setup to aim for. Okay. And and when you look at the, uh, I guess, the incumbent data management providers, where are they, uh, I guess, trying to, I mean, they they have them, they, they clearly have the market share, um, but, you know, things are slowly changing, as, uh, as, as mentioned earlier, they are also trying to, you know, get into where you guys are at, right? Uh, SaaS space, or try to, you know, preach interoperability, you know, so from their 
from their side of the story, I guess, like from from that side, you know, how uh, how feasible is it for them to truly be interoperable? Uh, do they want to in the first place? Um, second, I guess, would be how easy would it be for them to to make their existing product offerings interoperable, interoperable and easily integrated with other systems? Yeah, so I think there's um, yeah two sides to that. Like you said, I mean, it's it's a question of whether they whether they really need to. If they already have a a significant market share, then it might not necessarily be they might not necessarily feel that adding that interoperability is something they need to do right now. But I think that could later um, come back to haunt them if they if they decide to sort of rest on their laurels a little bit. Uh, so uh, uh, and um, secondly, you know, sometimes. Um, if they are playing technology catch up and they're coming from a, a, a legacy tech stack, then often that is just the primary focus is, is keeping up to date and, and actually trying to get um, technology that wasn't built for the cloud uh, shoehorned onto the cloud. And so often that's just the, the, their main primary focus of their, you know, um, their large tech teams are mainly tied up with, with those types of tasks. And, and sometimes that makes it difficult to, to actually really focus on the on the future when you're just playing technology catch up and it's a nice advantage for the for us newer players because we we were built for the cloud and, and more of a cloud native architecture and um, mm. means we can be essentially planning the the roadmap of the future rather than necessarily having to look uh, look over our shoulder too much right right okay and perhaps as a as a last question for today um you know what can uh, I mean? Could you could you give us an idea of like some of the uh, expansion plans that you have for Fencore, uh, and I guess some of the new um, updates, I guess, to your to your platform that you will you may be releasing in the in the near future. Yes. Yeah, so uh, expansion plans are. Um... I mean, with us being based in Singapore, our main focus over the last couple of years has been in, in APAC, but we're branching mm. out more and more over into into Europe and and a, a imminent launch in the in North America as well, which is going to be really exciting. So, that's uh, that's really the expansion plans in terms of product functionality enhancements. We're uh, continuing on this path of being cloud provider agnostic, database technology agnostic. So being able to essentially copy and paste your data from Snowflake to Databricks or vice versa with, with a few clicks. And, and I think that that's something that is um, really exciting to be um, agnostic to what, what you use under the hood uh, and, and provide that flexibility to our clients. So that, that's a, a journey we're continuing on with adding more uh, of those types of data vendors into our, um, into our arsenal of different supported platforms. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, well, James, it's been really uh, fun to have you on and thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Wei Shen. It's been a pleasure to be on the show.